Man, it's hot. Yeah, it's really hot. So stay cool. Um, so I want to give this quick announcement to start off the sermon. You'll see how it'll apply uh, uh, at the end of the sermon. Um, but uh, so if you saw the article in the Tampa Bay Times about the uh, school report about Hillsborough County, how Hillsborough County did, well, kind of, you know, they, I guess there were some good things and some hard things about it, um, but uh, we happen to have a connection with one of those, uh, one of the schools of the eight most, I guess they call them underperforming schools. They didn't get very good grades as far as how, uh, what, how the school was, was kind of graded. Um, we have a pretty strategic uh, couple, couple of West Towners that are on staff there um, and uh, begin to tell me some stories about this school and about what these students don't have. It's 800 students, 800 at Robles Elementary, and um, about 80% of them do not have, um, you know, they, they start day one without a, a book, a backpack, uh, uh, without, uh, you know, school supplies, pencils, three-ring notebook paper, a spiral-bound notebook. Uh, a lot of them don't even have um, enough clothes, really. They don't have, they're wearing the same shirt over and over again. And so um, when we got to talking earlier this week and I started telling the staff, I thought, what if, what if we did, what if we started to have a little backpack school drive for Robles Elementary? 80% of them do not have, you know, necessary, if you will, um, supplies. I think, of course, that would probably inform some of the grades that, you know, they, they show. Uh, but what if we just reached out to the school and kind of took them under our wing and said, you know what, for the next three, four weeks, when you go... Uh, start maybe buy uh, supplies for your kid for your kids what if you if you have one kid buy 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 for three right and there's 625 80 percent of 800 625 what if we what if we tried to come close to that number as a church over the next three four weeks here's Lou she she was at Walmart show you a picture Lou Lou gave for for perspective this is what Lou did at Walmart that's a ten dollar bill that's what she bought at Walmart for ten bucks right those three-ring notebook papers were 25 cents a piece. The 150 wide ruled was, I think, 82 cents, and those pencils were 97 cents a pack. So that's what you get for 10. I mean, you see how many? I don't even know how many that is. Uh, but you could, you know, really help a kid out. So what if we do that? Wouldn't that be a cool way to start? Buy a backpack. Buy two extra backpacks. Spend 10 bucks. Spend 20 bucks on supplies. Fill it up. If your kids got some extra clothes that you know they're not going to wear, we, we wear generally pretty nice clothes around here, play clothes, school clothes, shirts, whatever, socks, throw them in. We're going to have a, a bin outside um, just for, a way for us to show the love of Christ uh, to, to those that don't, have, uh, that don't have. So I think it would be a, a great way for us to, uh, to reach out. So we're going to do that. Amen? All right. Let's do that. Whew. All right. Good start. Good start to the sermon. Okay. <laughs> So last week was interesting because we talked politics, right? And it was hard to talk politics. I know it can be a divisive, uh, a, a real divisive topic, but here's what we, we realize is that politics is a tool, but it's not the tool. And some of us can underemphasize politics, and some, was, some of us can overemphasize politics. But, you know, there is a government uh, in the economy of God, and uh, as... It plays the kingdom of God plays itself out. Um, we are called to reach out and be a part of it. Um, and then 
we put more meat on the bones. This is the, the last part, the second half of chapter 13 of the book of Romans. Um, are basically the implications of um, what does it mean for us to have the love of Christ in us? How do we live that out? I mean, how are we really supposed to show this? And uh, this is starting at verse 8. Romans 13, verse 8. How do you work out your faith with others, right? We're not really going to talk a lot about the vertical relationship with you and God because we're assuming that you have it and that you are, you are close with Him. But verse 8 says, Let no debt remain outstanding. We're not to be people of debt, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves, who, whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So let's not let debt, you know if you owe someone money, or if, you, if someone has done something for you and gone out of their way, and you, know, you feel indebted to them, what it feels like to be around them. It's the only thing you can think about. Um, and you're not maybe normal with them. Maybe you're extra nice or extra attentive because you know you owe them. And, and so what Paul is saying, let's, let's, let's not um, have these outstanding debts. They take up room because we want to be what? We want to be authentic in the way that we, what? We relate to others. You remember when Jesus was coming into the city and when Jesus saw the city of Jerusalem as he's coming, as he's walking in, you know what he does? He weeps. His heart broke for the city. You know, he saw, he saw these people and his heart broke because he wanted them to know he cared for them so much. If you turn to Luke 10, the famous parable of, of the Good Samaritan, the dude was robbed. You had two guys, a priest and a Levite. And Luke describes it this way. They saw this man who was basically mugged. And what did they do? They stepped to the side and walked around him. That's the priest. And then it says, Luke says, and then there was another dude. It was a Levite. And he saw that this guy was robbed and mugged. And you know what he did? He stepped aside. He saw him, and then he behaved. And then he says, the Samaritan man saw. And you know what he did? He saw and he felt. He saw and he wept when he saw this guy. What did the Samaritan allow himself to do? To feel. It's one thing to see other people. You're going to see them all, you know, today in your neighborhood. You're going to see them at school. You're going to see them at work. You're going to see them across the table. But it's another thing to allow yourself to feel. To let your heart break. And the only place that this can come that this can authentically come from, Paul says, is when you understand the debt to love one another. Why? Because of what has been lavished upon you. If you don't understand that, you know, when we come to the, to the cross every week and, we, and, and the load and the weight that Jesus has taken off of us, and he has taken, no longer are you a beggar, but you are a prince you are royalty. Unless you understand that, I tell you what, the spectacles that you put on and you see other people with, they may be, they may be jaded. <laughs> I love this. Um, this week, or, or last month, Jay Spates, or Spates, I think that's how you say his name, recently discovered that he 
is royalty. He took a DNA test and results popped up as being of royal descent. Here's the funny thing about Jay. He grew up in New Jersey. He lives in an apartment. He doesn't even own a car and the dude is a prince. NPR reported that he visited his, his country, which was in actually in Africa. And um, the report of his arrival, it says, when he first arrived, he saw what looked like a festival. Hundreds of people dancing and playing instruments and singing. It took him several minutes to realize it was a welcome party for him. Until you understand that this is what Jesus has done for you and for me, that we are sinful beggars, do nothing, but God, in his great love for us, while we were yet sinners, what he died for us, and he made us royalty. Un un until we understand that, until that's a big deal in our hearts, I mean, do you really care the person sitting next to you in English class? Are you really going to pick up your sandwich and go across the lunchroom? Are you really going to ask someone to coffee? Are you really going to care what somebody, else, somebody else's kid does on the baseball diamond or, or in the dance class? Are you really going to care where they are when you see them even here, maybe looking on a Sunday morning, looking lonely? Why in the world would you do that? The only reason we will or we should is if we understand the continuing debt that I have to love one another. So, of course, I'm going to pick up some notebook paper and some pencils and some backpacks if this is a way that I can tangibly show the love of Jesus because the debt I owe to others because of what the debt I owe to Jesus for what he's done for me in that once we realize that the God of the universe did that when you understand the humility of God in loving us it will free you to love one another it will free us and so then Paul goes on he says so when you are fully alive The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. What happens when you really love somebody? Can you even imagine committing adultery? I mean, when you're in love with somebody, there's no way, there's no way I will ever leave you. I love you. I would never, ever do that. I would never, ever let a hint of jealousy come in. You think I'm going to steal from you? I've got plans for your birthday. You know what I'm going to give you? That's what love begins to do. You, wait, wait. You think I'm going to murder or I would, I would hate somebody? I will, I will be killed for you. Do not murder. Wait, do not covet doesn't even compute when you're loving somebody else. Because it's not what you want their things, is you want them to have more. That's what love does. That's what love in Jesus for us. That's what you feel when you realize he has saved you. And love, it does no harm to a neighbor. This is what it looks like. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And so I ask you, 
Do you look out into your world that way? When you think about, you know, the people that live in our city, and that means all the people that live in our city, every ethnicity, every um, political uh, philosophy, all people, right? Every age, every uh, gender, do you love them? It does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And so he says, is this, West Town, is this your heartbeat? Do you get to go around telling people about the love that God gave you? He made you a prince when you were a pauper. Do you tell that to people, and then do you show that to people? Because it's got to be tangible. Remember, we talked about how um, we could just sell Christianity as an inner peace, or just as an inner peace, and it's not. Sure, do we, do we, did we have kids this week um, at Camp Kalakwa receive Christ? Yes, we did. Do they have an inner peace? Do they need that? Uh, you know, maybe it was their salvation moment. Yes, that is so important. But that better play itself out, right? That better play itself out in the bunkhouse, in the cafeteria. You know, the way you treat your clients, the way you look at your husband, the way you look at your wife. Please love them. Do not, what, conspire against them. Is that the type of heart that we have? Jesus says you have to remember your first love. Your heart has to break for those that are hurting. To feel something like the Samaritan. Because it's easy for us to be, because, you know, those first two guys were religious. What Jesus was saying was that guy was a pastor. The first guy was a pastor. And the pastor didn't feel one thing. He saw the dude hurting, and he just got stale. His heart got stale. And then the other guy was the elder. Right? That's the elder of the church. So you have a pastor and an elder. And he's saying, this is what can happen. You can lose your eyes and your heart for others. And particularly in Rome, where Christians, it could be very easy to just live in a Christian ghetto, right? <laughs> just, just to have our own little holy huddle. No. Look to the interest of others. And now, and then he says in verse 11, but there's some dynamics here I want you to see. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now I think if you read this, this could be a little confusing. What does it mean? Wait, the hour has arrived for you uh, already. You need to wake up. What do you mean I'm awake? What, what exactly is he talking about here? Because we know Jesus sometimes says this. The kingdom of God is here. And then he would say things like, the kingdom of God is to come. Okay, what is it, Jesus? Is the kingdom of God here? Is it near? Is it now? Or is it, is yet, or, or is it yet to come? The kingdom to come. And here's what we have. I have a little graphic for you. So I want you to see it this way. The first part of, the, uh, of this little uh, graph here is that you have the fall and the promise. That just represents the Old Testament moving all the way until the first coming of Jesus, which, of course, we know is Christmas. And so you have this, this, the red part is this 
secular, evil, broken, right, fallen age that we struggle with. Now Jesus comes and he says, I've come to bring about a new kingdom. And I'm going to show you what this looks like. It's going to look like the way up is the way down. You don't carry a sword. You carry a bowl of water and you wash people's feet. It's going to, it's going to be a different kind of kingdom. But here's what Paul is saying is, look, the kingdom of God has truly arrived. But the kingdom of, of the fallen world is still here, the kingdom of darkness. And they're overlapping. And that's what you and I live in. And so some of us can overemphasize that we live in this world where Jesus is not around. It's really dark. And we say how, how terrible it is. Some of us feel that. And then some of us don't want to acknowledge that. And we just want to acknowledge that Jesus has come. But implied in this graphic here is what? Is there is tension. The kingdom has come, but has it come fully? No. We call it the now, but the not yet. And we live in this in this now but not yet world but jesus and paul offers us the opportunity to help that yellow age the golden age the kingdom of light to come down because i i want you to be a part of bringing that kingdom down and removing the kingdom of darkness you can be a part of this right jesus says Here, here's how we're going to do that here we can what um forgive your debtors uh, don't enter into temptation, right? Um, ask God and be dependent upon Him. As you follow the Lord's Prayer, you know what's going to happen? The kingdom of light is going to come in even more. And we what? We look forward to the second coming of Jesus. And when the second coming of Jesus comes, turn to the last two chapters of your Bible and read them. There's the description. What is it going to be like? Read those last two chapters. It's gorgeous, right? It's, it's the most hopeful, um, uh, adrenaline rush, uh, giving uh, passages I think in scripture because that that's where we're headed but we live in this tension and everybody in this room feels that you know where the kingdom of darkness is in your life you know how your own flesh the scriptures say Satan and a broken world conspire against your life maybe it's an addiction maybe it's a, a addiction to alcohol maybe it's your mouth maybe you lie Maybe you gossip. Whatever it is, you know where the kingdom of darkness comes, but you also know this. You also know where the kingdom of light has come in and stomped out darkness in your life. And Jesus is saying, that's what I'm committed to. And I promise you that um, I will come back and I will make all things right. And all of us feel that. That's why you can hear an interview, and I, I bring this up all the time because it's still just unbelievable to me I, I think it's the the best case or the best example for evangelism with tom brady after four super bowls married to giselle two beautiful kids and he says there's still something i, I don't know still something's missing you have everything tom everything but you don't we live in in this tension we live in the now and the not yet and you know what god wants from us he desires some urgency because some of us just sit back and say, you know what? God's going to do it. You're right, he is. But you know what he also says? He's going to use you. Will you have the faith size of a mustard seed? Just that. Could you do that? Could you, could you, you know, make a stand? I was watching this video showing it to uh, Frankie and, and Eliza uh, last night. And it was the one dude who stood in Tiananmen Square. One dude 
stood in front of the tanks and the tank moved and then he moved, right? And he got on top of the tank and then the engine turned off and he got on, he got off and then the engine turned back on and he stood in front of it again and he moved again and he moved again and, they, and then all of those tanks, all the engines, all, they all turned off. One dude who had faith and believed in what was happening and that wasn't even Christian but it's the faith, it's the faith of a, of a young kid in a group of campers that I saw when I saw a number of kids articulate their faith when I went up on Wednesday when I saw all 500 of them 6th to ninth graders standing up singing from their heart they did not care about I mean we had 90 of our own West Towners there and they were just singing worshiping God next to one another hands raised just letting it rip it was gorgeous there's some urgency that we need to have. Your retirement account, it can wait. You know what? The next thing can wait. It will. I promise you. But Jesus says, commit to the thing, to, to these eternal things. And so he wants you to enter into battle, but he desires what? He desires an urgency. So he says this, So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. What does that mean? I just want to show you another. Uh, so this urgency entering into the battle. I, I, I tried to not find a cheesy picture. If you think this is cheesy, I'm sorry. You know, I, I was trying to get a cooler picture of a dude in armor. But this is, this is Ephesians 6, and Paul wrote Ephesians 2. He says, look, you are going into a battle because of the now and the not yet. When you go to school, when you, you, know, when you interact with anybody that's not a believer, um, you, you are going to have, you know, um, you're going to need to put on the armor of God. And he says the helmet of salvation, right? Remembering your, your, what God has done to you, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Scriptures. You can shield, right? the attacks of the evil one by having faith. And what is faith? Believing in what you cannot see. And the feet of peace. So wherever you go, you're going to bring the good news of what? The peace of Jesus. It establishes peace. That's, that's what, when, when Christians engage, we should bring that. Do you put those on? Do you, did you put that on this morning? Did you think, okay... I need to put on the armor of God. Because you know what? We live in this area. I mean, it's summer. It's light. I mean, what's really coming at you? You know what C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters writes? The uncle demon says to his apprentice, a nephew demon, here's what he says. Keep West Towners in church. If you want to get them away from God, don't, no, don't take them out of church. You know how you'll kill their hearts? Leave them in church. Let them do the ritual thing. Just pull out any urgency. If you can do that as a demon, let them go to church, show up. But if you pull out any urgency for them to share their faith, to be salt and light, to take a step of faith where they may be persecuted, you will kill them. And I think that's what he can do, particularly when there's not a whole lot of need for us. When many of us feel comfortable. And we talked like we talked last week recognition, comfort, security. I mean, these are our highest values. How can you have those as your highest values and be a Christian? Let me tell you, those are at odds with what Paul's trying to tell us. We're in a war. You know, and, and to think, um, 
Yeah, our, our kids are looking at us, parents, and they're looking at me and they're saying, is there really a war going on, Dad? I want to see, what do you like when no one's watching, right? Do you really believe this stuff? Do we come to church because we believe we need to be filled up because there's really a battle? Or do we go because it's kind of like the right thing to do and we just need to get in some kind of rhythm to establish that? Or do we need to be filled up because, you know what, we want to make a dent for Jesus. That we have to put on the full armor of God. Do we believe that there are deeds of darkness going on and that we are called to put on the armor of light. Because I believe if we have an urgency to enter into that battle. Students, you can, you can, you can um, mentor your parents. There's nothing like Frankie or Jake. You know, yesterday Jake, you know, he's listening to a bunch of uh, praise music. I'm like, you know, he's normally not listening to that. You know, he's listening to another, other music. Um, but, but he's, and, you know, I could just tell that week away and just worshiping God with all these students. He'd never been to something like that. I mean, he's just a little, you know, 11-year-old monkey, right? And there he is. And, he, and now, he's, now, he's, now he's what? He's sitting there singing these songs. And, it, you know, just, man, when I'm just sitting there, in my, am I listening and worshiping the Lord? I mean, it, nothing to see God through the eyes of my son or to see God through the eyes of my daughter. Nothing will just sear my heart, cut me to my very core quicker than my kids. Kids, when you live out your faith, you have no idea what that does to all of us. And so he says, look, the world is watching. And if the world is watching, here's what we need to do. Let's live out what the love of God for one another. Verse, uh, last two verses. So let's do this. Let's behave decently. As in the daytime. Not in carousing and drunkenness. Let's keep our edge. Not in sexual immorality and debauchery. Not in dissension and jealousy. But rather what? Rather clothe, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. You know what's great when you're on mission? When you really feel like you have a mission and, you, and you're being used in an ambassador for Christ is you stop thinking about these, these temptations, these enticements. Because your mind is wrapped up with those people that God's placed in your life to care for. I mean, think about it. When are we at our best? When, when, we, when we are spending time with God and when we are thinking, right, I mean, what's, when we are forgetting about self, when we forget about ourselves and we think about others and we're thinking about the love of God. Because we're, when we're in that pocket, you know what? I, I think we are so on mission. And, and to ask people or to say, hey, you know what? I want you to open your house for a small group. I, I want you to, to serve others. It just happens. And people ask me to do, do something I'm, and I'm in my right spot. Man, I want to. I will find every way that I can humanly possible, uh, find humanly possible to do it. But when I'm not, I look for every angle out. How can I spin this so I won't look bad, but I, don't, I just don't want to do it? I, I, can just, I, can just, I can just say it, say this, and kind of just let them think this, 
and not, I, I know maybe, you know, I could be there, but, but I really don't want to. Why? Because I'm thinking about me. Because you know what I think? I think I need more comfort or I want more security. I don't want to enter into what? I don't want to enter into some of the conflict maybe that's in my marriage. Because you know what? I don't want to serve Lou. My heart is black. I want to serve me. But when I realize what Christ has done, you know what? I'm strong and I feel like I can do anything. So walking into those hard conversations, I can do it. Because I'm walking by faith, what? And I'm not walking by sight. If you need to have a conversation with your mother or with your father's students that you know you need to have, fill yourself up with the Lord, and you know what? You can be the son and daughter that your mom needs you to be. Same with you parents. If you know you need to have a conversation with your son or your daughter and you're scared to do it because you're scared about what that's going to do to that relationship, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is being filled up with the Lord, right? And then... Once you are there, you do the best you can filled up with the Lord to have that conversation with your, with your son or with your daughter. Because here's what you know. All I have is the continuing debt to love one another because of how much Christ has what? Has forgiven me. Where are you this morning? What's the last two things you've done for somebody else? What can you do after service? And think, okay, you know what? The Lord has filled me up and has saved me, and I am free. I am free to what? I am free to serve. I am free to what? To go talk to the lonely person. Because he is with me. I, I, I can do that. And Paul is trying to change the world through the church in Rome. And he says, look, what clothes are you putting on? Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you walk out with a humility. But, I mean, read Jesus. He did not live a boring life. Everywhere Jesus went, he was looking to serve. He was looking for opportunities to either teach, to preach, or to heal. That's all he saw. Opportunity here to teach. Opportunity here to heal. Opportunity here to preach. That's all he did. He just saw other people. We are called little Christ. But you cannot get there, and I cannot get there, unless we realize what he has done for me, right? And what he has done for you. What type of church are we? We have to press outward. The gospel moves in, yes, always. The gospel moves up in worship, of course. But then the gospel always moves out. How can you move out, right? How can you move out this week? How can you clothe yourself with Jesus Christ and not look to what? To think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Because here's what happens. That your journey in this holiness, it will be a signpost for the world to see Christ. And when they see you doing things selflessly, not for gain, when they watch you care for one another, you are a signpost. You know what? And God, I know, God will lead people to you to say, hey, look, I saw you do this. I saw you go eat with that person or have that person. I know a lot of, you know, that person can be tricky. But you know what I noticed? When everybody else kind of gravitated away from them, what you did is you found something to talk with them about. You found a way to encourage them. And I realized I was looking for a way out and you were looking for a way in. That journey that you're on that called you to holiness 
stunned me and moved me to Jesus. That should be an encouragement to you because many of you do that. I saw students do it that, this week. Students, older students, talking to younger students and seeing even just the countenance of a 6th or a 7th grade boy or girl be elevated because an older student decided to talk to them. It was, it was marvelous. So where are you? Does your gospel move you outward? Yes, we are called to be filled up with the Lord. The vertical has to be right. But the vertical will always move horizontal. That's what, that's what the gospel does. So let's pray. Let's ask that God would move us in our journey.